So this mini series doesn't have anything to do with Jeff's series that he started last week, except that we're both going to be reading out of the same book. That's really it. So we're just reading out of the Bible, and there's the, the bridge between them. So for me, I get this week and next week, and oddly enough, there is a third sermon to the miniseries. Now, when does it make the most sense for the third sermon to show up? It's this week, next week, and any guesses where the third one should show up? The week after that, right? Except it doesn't. The next third installment is going to be September 20th, which makes a ton of sense, right? Amen. I love when you ask for an amen and it doesn't make sense, but I did get Marsha to say yes, but I think that's because she has three kids, and that makes a lot of sense when you're just willing to engage with another adult in conversation. Uh, there are... There are 40 days, technically there's 42 days, if I'm being completely honest, because weeks go by sevens, uh, it's 42 days in between the second sermon and the third one, and that's on purpose. I wanted there to be a 40-day gap in between, simply because uh, this week's sermon is entitled, uh, Put Your Own Oxygen Mask On First, dot, 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 and then next week it will be dot, dot, dot before assisting others. And so that'll be part one and part two. And the philosophy in this is uh, we're going to charge towards something that's going to happen technically twice. So I want to prepare you for this. Adventists especially get a little nervous around this situation. And so as much as I wanted to just create this as like a pop quiz this week, uh, I'm going to give you one week warning. If you come back to church next week, we will be doing both communion and foot washing. Everybody catch that? What are we doing next week? Communion and foot washing. Some people hear that and think, oh, I wonder who else is preaching at a different church next week. And I would encourage you to look if you feel like you have to, but to also be a part of this series as we go through it, because communion and foot washing is not a mandatory thing, especially if you're a visitor this week. I may have just blown your mind like, we're doing what with what? Yes, we are washing each other's feet. And that seems strange until you read in Scripture who and why we do that thing. And so next week, if you come back, you will have the opportunity to do communion and foot washing together as a community. But if you are not ready next week to do it, you are eligible to pass and just say, I am not ready, which is why there's a 40-day gap in between sermon number two and sermon number three. Because guess what's happening on September 20th? No guesses? The answer is communion and foot washing. Did you get it, Graham? You got to be louder, man. I can actually hear you up here. Like when I ask questions of you, I'm actually asking for an answer. So if you know the answer, you shout it out. You're leading the whole church right now in quiz answers. Yeah, 40 days from now, we're doing it again. And this is uh, a setup in hopes that if you're ready for next week, great. If you're not, I'm going to give you 40 days to get ready again. And if you're ready then, then we'll do it together as a community. And if you did it the, the second sermon, great, you get to do it again in 40 days. And there's a purpose to all of it, but this is an extra long setup so that you understand the direction that we're heading. Does that make sense to everybody so far? Did I lose anybody in that, in that breakthrough, breakdown? 
Good. I got nothing in response. So, it is either so hot you have been lulled into an early Sabbath nap, or you're with me, and I'm just going to keep moving in that general direction. So, this is your invitation and your challenge to be a part of this 40-day experience. Let's talk about 40 days, though, because 40 days has a significance, and I'm going to be honest with you up front. I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to show you the end of the movie before we get uh, to the middle of it. If you ask me the question, what is the biblical significance of 40 days? My answer to you is mostly because it's up to you. Like there's not something where God says like, and then there was a 40 day decision and I started the clock and 40 days later, I expected this thing to happen. It doesn't happen as a precursor into the results. It is a results-based number. Something happened, and it was because something else had happened 40 days before. And that 40-day period is super essential for understanding that God wants to work in your life all the days, for any number of days, all the time. But if you're going through something, or you have a challenge in front of you, more often than not, there are scriptural uh, moments that talk about a 40-day gap for you to work within. And God is really pushing in those moments to have those 40-day experiences with you. I have four of them that I want to walk with, uh, with you today through. Uh, and so I'm going to ask you to do the same thing I'm doing, which is read scripture along with me, because there's no reason for you to not know what I know, I have the same book, literally the same book. If you're sitting in the pew, you didn't bring a Bible with you. There's a Bible in front of you, and I need you to flip to Exodus chapter 34, and we're going to start in verse 27. For anybody who is flipping through Scripture for the first time, the book in front of you, you're just going to go to page 88. Page 88 will get you right to where we, we are. So Exodus 34, starting in verse 27. And it says this, it says, The Lord said to Moses, write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. Everybody cluing into that? That's the key phrase here. Moses and God hung out together 40 days and 40 nights. It says, Moses neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Jump into 29. When Moses came down from, the Mount, from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down the mountain, Moses did not know the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. So this story is a 40-day tale. Now, this is a Bible scholar question, so take this, you know, however you want to take it. But can anybody remember what happened directly before this? And by remember, are you able, if you don't know, just to flip back and read the headlines really quick and see what happened before this? What did Moses do before this moment? Stumped him again. 
the golden calf. So there was a golden calf experience before this. Here's a, let's do a, let's do a, a, a true or false that goes with it. True or false. Moses has already been up this mountain once before. True or false. True. True or false. Again, uh, Moses has already written the same document in stone once before this one. True or false. Ooh, I, I don't actually know what I heard. I heard a definite false and then I heard... Oh, oh, interesting. I like this. I like this. So, okay, maybe I should, I should, <laughs> I love that that was the curveball too. Did Moses write the first set of tablets? Okay, did God write the first set of tablets up on the mountain with Moses? True or false? Oh, there's the true. There we go. Okay, so there's already been one set of these tablets, but Moses comes down the mountain all proud of himself, super excited to be like, hey guys, check out my work. I didn't eat for 40 days so I could write this essay. And people were like, that's cool. Did you see what we made? He's so mad in this moment that they've taken all the gold in the village and they were like, we should melt this down and turn it into a cow, you know, for purposes. Because this could be our God. Because Moses left and that makes sense to us. And so Aaron takes control of the tribe. He builds this thing. Moses comes down and goes, check out this essay. And then he gets super mad. You know what he does with it? He throws it on the ground, destroying it, and then begrudgingly trudges back up the mountain. And he has like this powwow with God. He was, God's like, how'd it go? He goes, I think you know. He goes, yeah, I just wanted to hear you say it. And then Moses, rah, 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 rah. and then we get to this story. He goes through it again. So true or false this time? Moses writes the second set of tablets truth. This time it's Moses that writes this whole thing out and God walks him through it and they rewrite the essay and then he comes down. Now something's different this time. This time as Moses comes down, his face is literally shining as if he's been like up against something radioactive and now he is glowing and everyone else is noticing this. But it took 40 days for this thing to happen. It was Moses is a little upset he feels betrayed. He's not super happy with where things have gone, especially since, you know, they had just been walking through the desert, escaping slavery. And the first thing that this recently uh, freed group of slaves did was enslave themselves to this other God. Moses is a little upset with what's going on. And so he has this 40 day experience. At the end of the 40 days, he looks different. He's got a brand new essay that he's excited about showing. And that essay lives on today, which is pretty exciting to think that something that far back lasts all the way through. He called it the Ten Commandments. We call it the Ten Commandments. He wrote it like this. We read it like this. It's super simple to see how these things translate straight across. But it took him 40 days to do it. Now, in order to get prepped for that, he's got to live through the debacle. He's got to survive his anger. He has got to realize that this is the thing that has happened. There's nothing I can do about that. But there is a reckoning coming. And a reckoning happens, in my estimation, twice. Once, Moses with God and a reconciliation of the two of them because Moses is a little upset that things are going on the way they are. And then Moses reconciles with the people. And it begins with this conversation. Forty days between step one and step two. That is example number one. One. Example number two, I need you to flip to 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to start at the beginning of the chapter in verse 
1. Again, if you're using the home court Bible, the one that's in front of you, you're on page 354. Story of Elijah, 1 Kings, chapter 19, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 8. It starts like this. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Not a very veiled death threat, basically, is what's happening here. Verse number three, Then he, Elijah, was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under that broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. Verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came again, and a second time touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose, and ate, and drank, and went in the strength of that food. For how long? Forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Another mountain, another 40 days, another experience. Elijah begins this story under penalty of death. There is somebody who wants to kill him. He hears about the death threat. He panics and he runs. And the first thing he does is praise. Once he gets to this location, he says, that's it. I don't want to live anymore. I've had enough. God, just go ahead and take my life. And uh, I'll wait here for you to do that. And like any person under a lot of duress, he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, which is A, a problem for somebody who doesn't want to wake up again, he is under the understanding that maybe he might be dead because who's the first person he sees? An angel. Which is like how some of us, I think, picture how death is, where you're just like, boom, car accident. And you're like, whoa. And somebody's like, hey, welcome to heaven. And you're like, what? Awesome. Do I get to meet Jesus? He's like, yeah, he's right over here. So you've got to think for a second. Elijah thinks he has done the thing that he wished he would do. Except the angel gives him a very weird command, which is get up and eat. I brought you some cake. Not a bad way to wake up underneath a broom tree, I would suppose. So he eats... I guess, to the point of exhaustion, because he then falls asleep again. Later, wakes up, ta-da, who's there to greet him? Same angel. What's the angel do? Second helping of cake, and this time some water. Because apparently, Elijah's going on a hike, and I'm not sure that's what Elijah wanted to hear. But, because of this, like, cake extravaganza in the meeting with the angel, Elijah then continues on and he goes on this hike. And I'm going to pick up this stuff in the back end later. We're going to talk about these same four stories in different parts, but I'm stopping here because these are the, like, the points where they maneuver either towards the good or towards the bad. And for Elijah, he's still on the fence about it. He's not exactly sure where this ends. For him, 
This has now happened, this, this 40-day experience is happening after, again, another betrayal. So there's been a betrayal, then there is 40 days, and then comes the answer to his prayer. What I find very interesting about this story is that Elijah, in this moment of hurt, in this moment of anxiety, says, God, I want this from you. Amen. I will wait patiently until you answer my prayer. God does not actually speak to Elijah until after the 40 days. So he doesn't get his answer until he has his 40-day experience, his 40-day challenge. And there's more to that story, like I said before, but just like the story before it, just with Moses, there's a debacle, there is this loss, there is this threat, and then there's 40 days, and there's something better on the other side. Third example. These are all Old Testament examples. We're going to go all the way to the New Testament, the beginning of the New Testament. In this case, you're going to flip to the book of Matthew. You're going to go to Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1, page 962 in the Bible in front of you. Nine sixty one in the Bible in front of you. I apologize. Header here says the temptation of Jesus. Verse one, chapter four. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, "If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves." might just not meant to be that I have a working microphone. This has nothing to do with Peter. I don't want anybody to turn around and think this has something to do with the tech team. It's just Sabbath morning gremlins that crawled down from the, uh, the computer who was not working before to now. Which, by the way, shout out to Emmanuel, who I think is sitting up there running the slides so that you can all read this a long way. I appreciate you, Emmanuel. Uh, so we've got Jesus' story. In Matthew 4. So you've got Moses, you've got Elijah, now you've got Jesus. Same thing, 40-day story, only this time, what has happened directly before Jesus goes into the desert? You can cheat on this one as well and see what it says beforehand. What did Jesus just leave before he goes into the desert? The Jordan for what? Say it again. Whose baptism? His own, Masoda. His own baptism. So Jesus gets out of the water. Uh, I, I'm looking at Brandon in this case. Like, imagine, Brandon, we, we baptized, what was it, 80% of the staff this year, I think is what I saw. Uh, beautiful video. We should show that video next week if I can find a way to make it work. But like 80% of the staff gets baptized. And you're like, man, that's a really beautiful thing. Cool. Thanks for coming. So glad you're here. Your next step is to starve yourself for 40 days and take the devil head on. Ready? And they're like, do I get to take the washcloth? You're like, yeah, but that's it. And then they wander into the desert. What a story. What an incredible feat to think that that's the first thing Jesus does when he gets out of the water. This is why I think we stop where we do when we tell the story of baptism and like why baptism is, is important. Because I feel like fewer kids would be excited about getting baptized if you were like, and now you have to go fight the devil. Graham, what do you think? Get baptized, what's the first thing you want to do? Take on all of evil? No? 
You don't look too excited. Thankfully, Jesus did it. So that's, that's the win in all of this. But Jesus also gets himself ready for that moment. Like, it's not like he gets directly out. It says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness for the, the distinct privilege of being tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And that's where the story starts to tilt. Jesus comes out of something incredible this time. And he goes into something challenging. And so it works on both ends. It's not just a, you're going to have something bad happen, and then you got to go sit in the penalty box for 40 days, and God will work it out through you. And then 40 days later, you're like, whew, I feel so much better. Also, here's this wonderful thing that has happened. It happens in reverse, and it happens for Jesus. Jesus gets out of the baptismal pool. Then he goes into a moment which should be celebratory, when in fact it is a deep, dark challenge. And he's challenged multiple times. The last one that we're going to walk through is the one that Kevin helped us out with uh, for our spoken word, and that is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 27. And this is the last one we're going to sit with for a little bit. Chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 27, it's page 1139. 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, so, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is Paul's take on the communion story. This is a moment in time where he is aware of the fact that the disciples, and he's not counted among them in this story, is in this moment where Jesus is doing something self-sacrificial. But in doing so, he is asking the people at the table to examine themselves first. And this is a story that I thought about while I was on these ridiculous journeys here and back and, and, and here again. Um, you all heard the, the spiel that flight attendants give, uh, you know, like, hi, welcome to this flight. It's this many numbers and it seats this many people. There are this many exits. You should swivel your head and figure out which exit is closer to you. All of these things are done just in case there is some sort of air emergency. And they walk through all the different versions of it in case you hit some water. Don't worry. Underneath you is a pool toy that you're going to use to get yourself out of this situation, and then they ridiculously put it over their head, and it feels like they're mocking you at that point, where they do the, like, then you pull the tab, and I always want them to pull the tab. I just want to see all of a sudden just go, and then they've got it, and you're like, oh, that's what that's going to be like. Like, that's what it's going to feel like. It's going to be really scary. Or, if it doesn't work, there are these tubes at the bottom, and then the flight attendant always, yeah, Jared did it before I did it. It's always just like a lean to the side, like a caricature of just like, as if you don't understand how to blow into a straw. Where I just I want to meet the person that goes. Or like my uh, seminary uh, colleagues would do. Like every time somebody would have a, a presentation, they would just have their phone out and they would just do the next slide. They would take a picture and then they wouldn't take notes. And they'd wait for the next one and they'd take a picture. And my favorite one is whenever the, the professor would have a slide that would do one line at a time, but you don't know that it's one line at a time 
until the end. And so you take a picture, and then the slide doesn't advance. It just adds another line. So you have to take a second picture. And then you're like, oh, it's a third line and then a fourth line. So you have four pictures of what could be the same slide if you just would have waited until the last one. But you don't know that yet. And it's the same thing here. Like, you don't really, has anybody ever been in an air emergency? Anybody here? Like, no? Okay, good. That's probably a good thing. I don't know that I want like a room full of people like, we've all been in air crashes before. But they, they walk you through all these different pieces. Like, there's going to be a slide that comes out of the door whenever you land. And you're supposed to detach it and float on that and go to safety. And then there's the one that scares me the most because it feels like the thing you can't do anything about, which is every once in a while, uh, the plane that you're on, all that air you're breathing, we're just not going to have that anymore. But don't worry, things are going to fall from the ceiling, you're going to put them on your face, and everything will be okay. I think Jeff actually started his time here talking about a golfer who was in a situation like this. His plane was flying, they lost cabin pressure, and then everybody died on that plane, and the plane just kept flying until it, I think it crashed in the ocean. But this is that same idea here of just like, don't worry about it, we'll go through it together there's this mask that will, that will pop out. You're going to put it on. You're going to breathe normally. Don't worry if the bag doesn't inflate entirely. It does mean that the oxygen is flowing. But the line they give is the line that you have here for my sermon. Put your own oxygen mask on first. And I think this is what Paul is talking about here in this idea of, sure, Jesus has decided to give this sacrificial thing to you, and that's great. What Jesus has done is incredible, but before you take it, before you have this experience that you're about to go through, you should put your own oxygen mask on first. Now, for those of you who have flown before, what's the back end of this sentence? I think I already said it before, so this is not giving away anything else, but what's the end of put your own oxygen mask on first? Before assisting others. Kevin, you have such a deep voice, I could hear you all the way from the back. I appreciate that. Uh, before assisting others, because sometimes you will find yourself in a spot where you're with somebody who needs a little bit of help. Like I think of people who have children. You're on a flight, God forbid, there's this moment. You put your own mask on first, which goes against most motherly instincts. Am I right in thinking that, Marsha? Like, you don't think, like, what's the first thing I should do? Well, protect myself, obviously. Forget these three helpless children who can't reach the one thing that's going to save their life, you have to go against all of those instincts and help yourself first. The question becomes, why? Why help yourself first in this moment? And the answer is really simple, as ridiculous as it may sound, but you can't help anybody if you haven't already covered your own bases. You cannot help in a situation where you're already not breathing clean air. If you don't have the oxygen flowing to yourself, you aren't as good to other people. Has anybody ever been oxygen deprived before? Anybody know what that feels like? You're super clear of mind, right, Brigida? Like you're able to make really sharp decisions? No? You're able to like troubleshoot and see things in the correct order? No? Does everything get a little bit dark and a little bit tunnel-y vision and then you get really lightheaded? Yeah, everything just sort of moves into the middle? You don't want that. That's not a good thing. And so find a way to have that not happen to you is the advice of every flight attendant because we're going to need your help. We're going to need your help getting help to the people who need it next. To me, I learned a valuable life lesson through a Christian lens from a flight attendant who said, put your own oxygen mask on first before assisting others. And that's where I'm going to leave this week 
is just an encouragement to take a week. Take a week to isolate yourself, which I want to be very careful with here. Because anybody a super big fan of social isolation coming out of the COVID pandemic that we're slowly coming out of? I feel like I'm going to get in trouble for this sermon, too, where it's just one of those, like, I have the word mask in the sermon title, and I'm calling for social isolation. I promise you I'm not. But what I want you to do is isolate yourself in these moments. Isolate yourself and say, what do I need? What, what does Jay need this week? What's kind of getting in the way? Am I, am I so anxiety-laden? Am I so depressed that all I want to do is die? When in reality, all I need is a nap and a snack. And maybe, just maybe, that'll bring me back up to speed. And maybe that'll put me in a spot where God will actually work with me. Maybe you're in a spot where you're thinking to yourself, I'm about to make a really big decision. I'm about to go into something that is either going to be incredibly great, or incredibly scary, or incredibly terrible, and I'm going to need all the pool toys underneath my seat, and I'm going to need an oxygen mask to make it work. Before you do, check yourself. Give yourself a week, because next week we're going to come back, and we're going to give you an opportunity to do both. To one, accept the gift that Jesus has given here in 1 Corinthians, of this idea of what does it mean to be self-sacrificial, and to take some of the sacrifice into you, so that not only you can nourish yourself, but so you can serve others, because there's the second part to it, and that's where the foot washing comes in. It's an act of service, but it comes in order. You've got to take care of yourself first in order to better to serve the other people. This week is a challenge, and it's an invitation for everybody, whether you just went th through something really hard, or whether you went through something incredible and you're super excited about it. God wants to hear your prayer this week no matter what, whether you're all the way on top or you just hit rock bottom. Part two, next week, I hope you join us for it and get an opportunity to try and put this into motion. And again, if you fail and this week doesn't go the way you thought it would, and maybe, just maybe it won't, maybe that thing that you're really struggling with, that person you really want to forgive but you can't find forgiveness for them yet, Know that you can pass next week. But next week is the start of your 40 days. Next week starts the clock. Next week, find a broom tree. Next week, hope that somebody next to you brought some cake. Bring a bottle of water. Because maybe, just maybe, while everybody else, and I don't want this to seem like an us versus them thing, it's not. But while the rest of the group goes into a different room and does foot washing, I want you to stay here and I want you to pray and have a conversation with God and ask God what it is you need to do over the next 40 days so that when we come back together in September, you have something else to offer other than, man, I just don't think I want to keep going. I don't think I want to do this anymore. I don't think I want to be here anymore. I don't think I want to do this ever again. The hope is that you come with something else next time. This week, put your own oxygen mask on first.